You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. What's going on, No Bad Dog Army? Welcome back to the award-winning, top-charting podcast. Shout-out to Canada. Shout-out to the UK. And, of course, shout-out to my U.S. people for making this dog training podcast in the top of the list in all those countries. You guys are the best. Uh, we just did a amazing seminar at my facility for the very first time at the Upstate Canine Academy. And I just want to give a quick shout out to all the people who came out to that. That was like a whole, that was the regenerizing, is that a word? Uh, rejuvenating, energizing, <laughs> uh, seminar that I needed. I was, um, I really needed it. It was, it was really motivating and inspiring and I'm very excited for, Next year, there was just something special about that seminar, knowing that so many people came up to me and gave me letters and and just told me how much not only this podcast, but my videos and all the things I've done in the past have helped them tremendously. And and that um, I I really appreciate that. And that gave me a lot of gas and and, and energy to to do other things. So shout out to everyone who came. If you guys were there, you guys know uh, how special it was and and how motivating it is and, and just the energy, I think, in the and and just the vibes that we try to do in our seminars like I always talk about is is I don't want to say next level because I don't think it's better than anything else I just think it's different and and I think it's different than a lot of dog training seminars if you've ever been to one and so I just want to give you guys a shout out thank you guys for coming we are doing uh probably another seminar uh same time of the year at my facility next year and that's probably going to be the only one I'll do in the states again so shout out to you guys and hopefully we'll see you next year on that this is a podcast with uh, a dog owner who has a pit bull that is really patient, I'll say. Uh, this is a great podcast because we go over uh, how to do multiple things. We have a couple with two different dogs, and part of it is behavior, resource, guarding, and then the other dog is like, how do I teach my dog how to walk on a leash? And so there's all of that. Um, and another quick shout-out to all the people who just bought my brand-new My Dog Bites hat. For those of you who haven't seen it, you should check out my Instagram. It's basically a, a trucker cap and big text that says My Dog Bites. And the mailman just rolled up and is uh, grabbing an entire garbage bag full of those to ship out. So shout-out to you. All the merch stuff will be in the uh, description below. But it's a good podcast. I think you guys are going to really enjoy it because it's multifaceted and it gives you a lot of different dynamic so it's not just one thing it's two dogs working on several different things how to rebuild your relationship it's also how to get two dogs to work with each other in 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 a house you know these guys just moved in with each other and now they're like well now what do we do so i hope you guys enjoy this podcast at the end of the podcast i'm going to be answering three of the listeners dog training questions that's you guys to the best of my ability if you guys want me to answer your questions, head over to the iTunes review chart and leave your review and your question in your review. And I'll talk to you at the end. Thanks for listening. Love you guys. Talk to you at the end. Okay, here we go. Hello. Hello, this is Tom. So, Holly is uh, is the one we're talking about today. She's she's six years old, about that. Uh, she's a pit bull, blue nose. Uh, she's mostly, she started off in a single dog house, uh, for about two years and then 
I moved back home, and she stayed in a single dog or a two dog house, uh, and they never really got along too well. Uh, fast forward another two years, she's now uh, she now a single dog house again, but we're about to make her a two dog house. And over the past year, we've worked on her and the dog and getting her comfortable with other dogs, and we've had great progress on that. Uh, the new aspect is more inside the house. Uh, there's a few traits and things that we've noticed uh, over the past year or so of getting them more and more <laughs> familiar with each other. And we just want to see where to go in that direction and make some insight. Uh, let's see here. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hi, Tom. <laughs> Hi. My name's Carly. I'm, Hi, Carly. I'm Josh's girlfriend. Um, so for the past year and a half or so, um, we have made great progress with Holly from where we started. Like when him and I were first together, we like even had to put her out in the hallway, like outside of the bedroom um, because she like was territorial, I, I think, of the space and like the bed and everything um, and didn't like having someone else in that space, I feel like. Um, and so, like Josh was saying, we have made great progress from then um, in getting, like, our two dogs together um, within, like, my apartment inside his house. Um, and I feel like as we've all been spending more time together, um, like, we've, like, regressed almost a little bit. Um, the first setback was around Halloween or like our first kind of major setback was around Halloween. Um, I went over to Josh's house by myself with my dog. She's a small golden doodle. Um, and normally like the few times before that I'd gone over to his house when I'm there by myself, um, Holly won't, won't come down the stairs or greet me or anything. She will stay like up on the platform on the stairs and um, will even hide like up in the bedroom or in her crate. Um, and so when I went over, I was like trying to get her to go outside because he had been at work all day. Um, and like, as I was trying to get her out of the bedroom, she went and hid in her crate. And like, as I approached the crate, she started um, like kind of snapping at me, was growling and like, it almost seemed like she was gonna bite me if I had gotten closer. Um, so I just kind of left the situation and um, like closed the door so that I could leave my dog there and just kind of left them and like it um, kind of reset afterwards. Um, but I think since then we've had like more instances of like her growling sometimes um, and like even growling at me um, she does not like when Josh and I are affectionate towards each other. Um, let's, let's, let's talk about that first issue real quick, though. Do you think uh, removing the crate would be beneficial in this situation? Or do you think she sees that as, like, uh, a safe spot? We should keep it there, but maybe limit use and such forth. Well, I think the, the crate is definitely the safe spot for most dogs. And that's, that's really important when you guys are, are working with, with any dog, either, um, a new puppy, uh, or even Holly now. So I wouldn't remove the place where the dog goes to seek comfort. There mm -hmm. is a, there is some validity and understanding and, or being fair enough to say like, well, that's where she always goes. And then basically sits on her back and waits for us to come get her while she's growling. So I do understand the concept of maybe limiting the crate so she doesn't have that leverage, but it's just going to go somewhere else. It'll go under the bed. It'll go behind a door. Uh, so I don't think removing the crate would be beneficial or now, would it be more beneficial to remove it from the room and say, put it in a living room or downstairs in the foyer. Yeah. I'd, I don't, uh, you could, yes, but then you're going to run into the problem of if she's in your room and you don't want her next to you on your bed, guarding your bed, then you have to put her back out. So gotcha. I think having the crate in the room 
dissolves the problem. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, so I, I just, I just think that a dog is showing signs of uncomfortability. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. We push, we push, we push. The dog runs, goes into the crate, backs up into a corner. So I, I think the crate is just the dog's comfort zone. And like I said, I think if you remove the crate, it's just going to come up somewhere else. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So what was the next point? Um, so right now, what, what are you guys trying to, who, who are you trying to introduce? Are you just, Carrie, are you just talking about your dog that you're trying to introduce? Well, really, with? really, the dogs are, are pretty well antiquated. There's a few times when Holly's excited. Uh, I guess I'd say I've been working a lot and I didn't get to walk them before they see each other where the, she would try and nip. But honestly, that that's become less and less of a problem as they spend more time together, which is great. Uh, however, food aggression is something that has arisen from going. That started when she went to a two-dog household back when she was two. Mm -hmm. uh, I never really worked with it a lot, but lately what I have been doing uh, is I've been either mixing my hand in the food telling her to uh, I've been making her sit and wait anywhere from 10 to a minute before actually allowing her to eat uh, after placing her bowl down mm -hmm. uh, I've also been mixing my hand in the food as she eats and I've also been making taking it away from her at periods at random times making her sit again and then allowing her to continue to eat uh, I don't know if you have any more insight if if those are effective do you have any tips or tricks that you go to yeah i mean doing impulse control around any high value is always beneficial it's always good for your relationship it's good for like i said impulse control and obedience where are you finding the resource guarding to be happening because i didn't catch that Mostly part around the food bowl and specific treats the specific treats i limit to when it's just me and her in the house and i know that she's not going to be bothered by anything and usually i make her take that to the crate so explain to me what what's going on exactly like wh what is she doing uh if you get near her she'll focus her eyes on you and stop what she's doing her hair will raise and start growling and uh the growling will intensify as you get closer uh, if you go to take it, she doesn't quite bite, but she'll put her teeth up to you as if to say, I could bite you, but I'm not. She she did bite you she did. the other day uh, with the food. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, where do you, where are you feeding her? Uh, so I have a dedicated spot in the living room. That's where she's been fed since I've dining room. Yeah. Dining room. Uh, that's, that's specific spot and uh, I separate the two dogs when I do feed them together in the same house by two rooms uh, okay so it's not in a crate or anything no no I don't feed her in a crate no okay are you feeding kibble uh oh yeah a little mix of that and sometimes like white rice okay I just say there's a couple things I mean dogs growling again we don't it's not uh, some dogs just have this resource guarding primal instinct yeah it's it's not like you've done anything wrong it's not necessarily it's that's how that breed is yeah it's it's how a lot of dogs are that's how they want to be it, it really comes down to a lot of different things because even if you do foundational imprinting and you teach the dog from a puppy that this is going to be happy and it can still develop so it's just i don't even want to say it's a breed it's just what some dogs do uh because any breed can can start developing that like, Hey, this is mine. And I'm going to tell you how I feel. It just sounds like Holly is extremely patient. It also sounds like she's very, very communicative with you both, which is amazing because mm -hmm. this would be, you wouldn't have her likely if this was a different story. Meaning a lot of people that I talk to, it is, there is no warning signs. There is no, Oh, I'm just going to put my teeth on you just to let you know I could do something right. It is, it is not bad at all. And so I just want to give you guys that perspective of as many dogs as, as I talk, dog owners as I talk to and dogs that I work, sometimes you don't get that luxury of a dog being patient and a dog being 
kind of staying in line, but also telling Thank you, like, we appreciate hearing that. Yeah. I think we both kind of needed to hear that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, because, like I said, I, I mean, I, I do this, you know, behavioral stuff every single day, and normally what I deal with is not this, not the patience that's Holly's given you to me to give you perspective of somebody, like you said in the beginning of your opening thing, was like you just want some information and input. And it doesn't, you know, the pit bulls are my favorite breed to work with. Second, uh, second would be labs. And so I, I love pit bulls. I love terriers in general. They're amazing, fun dogs to work. Um, but you know what I mean? Like there's, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of, a lot of nuances in it for sure. There's a lot of nuances. They're strong breeds. They're very loyal, but you just have to, I just want you to give you guys perspective that oftentimes dogs are not this patient and clear. And what, what really is, uh, what I really like about hearing, considering the the things that you guys are dealing with, is the ability to control how her, how her emotions are popping up. That's amazing. Like she's telling you very clearly, "Hey, this is what I like. This is what I don't like." And if you push her, she's just going to try her best to get away because she doesn't want the conflict. So those are just things that I want you guys to keep in the back of your mind. Is a this could be uh, 10 times worse. And a lot of people do not have that luxury of their dog being clear with them, but also not really following through and kicking them out of their own house. So as far as the the training goes, uh, with the downstairs, with the resource guarding, some things that I would do. And I asked you about the, uh, kibbles, because what you can start to do is start to do some hand feeding sequences, which is really helpful to break down resource guarding, resource guarding at its core is a dog taking something that they really enjoy and then basically saying, this is mine and nobody can have it. And oftentimes because they're animals, they can compete with environmental things or they think they're competing with environmental things like mom and dad or the other dog or somebody ringing the doorbell or whatever. They're like, this is mine. Nobody can have it. And so if you start taking the the value, which is the food and breaking it into, let's say a hundred different pieces. Let's say she eat two, you know, a cup and a cup in the morning, whatever you put a treat pouch on, you do some training with her. Now you might be thinking, okay, well, I don't have that much time or that seems a little too much. That's fine. The other thing that I would do is put her, put her, if you can put her in a, in a crate or and or move the crate that's upstairs downstairs to start giving her that space she might feel more comfortable because again like if it were my dog I would definitely be working with the first thing I I don't think I would do is I mean I might like verbally say hey leave it don't growl at me but you also have to realize that when a dog instinctually decides to say hey I, I'm really uncomfortable with this to a point where I'm going to do a growl and then show my teeth. That's something that you you have to kind of like take a step back and go, okay, she's very, very uncomfortable with this. So you should try to rebuild the comfortability with her eating around you and, and her understanding that you're not there to take it from her. And so sometimes people will do that hand in the food dish type thing. And sometimes it's not as beneficial and or could make it worse because the dog might think that you're teasing them and or they don't like Holly has enough control in her emotions to say, I'm going to allow this to happen, although it's going against all of my primal instinct. And so the other side and or the other alternative you can do is just take that food and just do some hand feeding. And you don't have to like run around your house and do obedience. You can take a, take a handful of food and then hold it out and she'll come eat it out of your hand. Those are things that you can start doing to eliminate that conflict because you're basically making it uh, a fun thing that you guys are doing together as a team. Instead of once you give her the full gold pouch, aka the food, and she has it in her possession and you're around, it's not appropriate for her to feel like she needs to protect it and or tell you that you can't come near it, but... That's the other alternative thing that you can do is just do some hand feeding. And then over time, you want her to know like, hey, we're in this together. Like, hey, open the bag. Okay, now let me eat it out of your hand. Like you don't want her to possess because that's the first rule of resource guarding is that that possession of this is mine now. So if you can 
break it up into a hundred different pieces, if you will, instead of just one big value, that'll help her understand that you are giving her that and she has to work through you to get that food. And that will decrease some of that conflict because she's almost, once she has it as a whole, that's where she's like, my precious type stuff where like, this is mine. Nobody can touch it. But if you're like, hey, here's a bunch of pieces of the thing you like. That has helped uh, with resource guarding at at the stage that you're at, where it's like she's uncomfortable. But a lot of the clients that I talk to are like, yeah, you know, they're dealing with a lot, you know, several bites, and it gets gnarly. So I think right now you're at a good stage to start doing that. Um, sometimes too, like when she needs to go out or is hungry, she will cry a little bit to let us know that, like, you know, she needs something. Like you said, she's very communicative. Um, is it any concern at all, like, giving in to that and feeding her, like, right away, per se, when she lets us know that's what she wants? Concern, no. I just would be mindful that it, you have to be careful about how much she dictates your data. So typically... I like to jump in on that more often than not. It's not really about her needing to be fed. We're pretty strict on we'll eat first. She eats second. Uh, that's, that's kind of been what we've been doing for the past year and a half or so. Um, more uh, to add on to that though, for her whining to let us know to go outside, that's normal behavior, right? Yeah, if she's whining because she, yes, you just have to decipher. Are you whining? She's pretty good at. Yeah, she's pretty good. Uh, her word is business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and uh, she's uh pretty good at letting me know if I say I gotta go biz, she will make a run for the back door. Yeah, I mean, you just have to be careful again about her manipulating the the system, if you will. So her. You just got to be careful when she's like, hey, I want this. And you're like, okay, you got it just because of your relationship. And then, so sometimes when we talk about things like separation anxiety, even resource guarding, a lot of it can come down to the relationship, meaning the dog feels comfortable enough to say, hey, if you come near me, there's going to be problems. Uh, That's a relationship game. And so I'm not saying that that's the reason why this is happening, but let's say you have all of these things happening like in accumulation and you guys can audit that yourself on you know your own time because it'll take too long for you to overwhelmingly think about it. But sometimes when we have like, oh, my dog has resource guarding issues or my dog is whining all the time or my dog can't be left alone or my dog uh, needs to be next to my side or whatever the case is, all of these separation anxiety behavioral things that happen and insecurities Sometimes it also happens from when a dog starts running the show. And I know that that's not what's happening with you guys. I'm just saying you want to be, you want to have less things on, on the, on the tally list of her saying, Hey, I want this. And you giving it to her because that can also be pretty bad for your relationship long-term and in a confidence way. Okay. So my point is, is the other thing is, is like dogs are very conditioned. So when we say she's pretty good about knowing what biz is, we could also look at it to say biz means outside for her. And when you say, do you want to go biz? She's also just saying, do I want to go outside? Yes, I want to go outside. So if she's sitting at the back door whining because she wants to do something, I don't see that that's a big problem. She's like, hey, I want to go out. It just, there's a, there's, I think there's a variance and I don't know what it looks like, but there's a spectrum. If a dog's just sitting by the back door being like, hey, hi. I really would like to go out, whether it's to go potty or to just go sniff the roses. As long as it's not like, I want to say rude, if that makes sense. So if she's not like slamming against you and slamming the door and jumping up and scratching shit, I mean, you just that's really a discretionary thing on your end, but I wouldn't, it's not a big deal, but you just have to be careful like what it looks like. If my dog comes to the back door and just stares at me, I'll let her in. But let's say she came to the back door and she was throwing herself against the door clawing at the door, clawing the siding, whining, barking. That's a problem. That's unhealthy. Right. So you just have, there's a spectrum of like what's appropriate and what's not, you know, like, like kids, like is somebody whining because they're genuinely hungry and you're like, oh shit, like I feel bad I'm going to feed or are they throwing a tantrum because they want to get fed and they know that if they start crying, then you fall on your knees immediately. (laughs) So you just have to, that's more of a, 
you guys kind of self-reflect on what do you think that is but yeah uh i think our other slash like my other big question was obviously like josh and holly were already together i'm an outside person coming into this um and i worry sometimes about like my relationship with her um there's been like a few times now like i feel like sometimes when i try to pet her like make contact with her um she will like pull away back away from me there was one time like we were on the bed and i tried to pet her because like josh was petting my dog and she like kind of pushed my hand off of her and then like growled at me afterwards um and there's like been like we said like a few instances of her growling like directly at me um as well as like not liking when josh and i are like affectionate towards each other um anything on that yeah i think you nailed it i mean you're the outsider and if it's been josh and holly accumulatively for the last couple of years uh, that really i mean it, every dog is different every relationship is different but i think that you kind of have an idea of you being the air quotes outsider and so um there it's a lot about it's it's more about a dog only getting attention from one person and or a dog only being used to getting that attention from one person. It's be it'd be like lining up at the store and somebody pays you money, and every day you go to the store and somebody's giving you hundred dollar bills, and then one day you show up and there's somebody else, and now you're not getting as much money, and then the next day there's somebody else, and so once you air, air quotes steal that attention or that affection or that love or whatever the case is, sometimes the dog can say, "What's the direct correlation between?" my attention and my time with my owner and then obviously and there's like this protectiveness to her I think too so mm -hmm. I, I don't know for sure because I I'm not watching these things unfold but I think the best thing that you should do once you start seeing a dog start to give you some unnecessary feedback let's say then you just have to instead of like bossing the dog around or even running away from the dog figuratively the best thing to do is say, okay, there's a kink in our relationship here. So how do I rebuild this relationship or how do I build this relationship? And so mm -hmm. instead of, instead of trying to figure out necessarily why exactly it's happening and, or how to correct it, the best thing to do is go to the core of like, well, our, so our relationship isn't as good as Holly and Josh's relationship, obviously. So how can I, how can I help develop this relationship? And so you should be thinking of things that will help your relationship with her and develop that good bond so going on walks doing training things like that and the reason why i'm saying this lightly is because sometimes you have to do that with some dogs and then other times some dogs don't care literally at all so i don't want to say like oh no you definitely have to build this relationship first before you're not going to get any of this feedback but some cases it's very clear where the dog's like i don't really know you and now you're in my life every day you know being with my, my my best friend <clears throat> is it appropriate for her no like you should you shouldn't have to walk on eggshells around a dog as a human however this is the this is the problems that you're dealing so i'm not making up excuses to say oh no with any dog you have to do this that's not the case you, you should be able to do that but obviously the relationship between holly and josh are different and holly's got some resource guarding tendencies at its core anyway so Josh, again, Josh may be the biggest resource of Holly and the fact that she's just letting you know every now and then that she's upset is you can look at, you know, you can, you can look at the glass half full or half empty. And I think both of those things would be right, but I would be going out and spending more time with her and doing some exercises and skill sets to develop a better relationship via obedience and thresholds. And like Josh was saying earlier about the food. Like you, you can be doing similar things with doors. So putting the leash on her, doing things at the door, doing positive reinforcement. Yay. Good job. Do a sit, things like that. That'll help your relationship with her. Okay. But I think ultimately it's like, oh, well, she kind of resource guards her food. She resource guards the room. So it doesn't, it, it's a, it's a resource guarding at its core. It doesn't surprise me that it also rubs off on her being a little uh, moody when, 
uh, you and Josh are, are spending time with one another or even when your other dogs in the, in the mix, just because like I said, there's some people guys that like, they can't even, they can't continue to develop the relationship and, or they have to break things off with each other because their dogs don't get along or their dog doesn't like them. And it's this very stressful thing. So I just want to give you guys that, that light a little bit to let you know that a lot of people would kill to have, uh, Holly's patience, I guess, with the situation. So support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. That's what I would be doing, Carrie. Carrie, Carly. I would be. What's your dog's name? It's Carrie. Jojo. Jojo. Is it Carly or Carrie? Carly. That's what I have written down, but my (laughs) R's don't look that great. So Jojo is your doodle or mini doodle? Yeah, she's a mini doodle. And those guys are. It's from what I understand. Like you haven't really mentioned, they they they're kind of having some issues, but the main issue is with you and Holly. I mean, yeah, I mean, I would say it's when they first were introduced, we couldn't even walk side by side because Holly would be nippy. She'd be like all over. Yeah. Uh, now it's, you know, we can, we're in the same room together. Yeah, we're them. all sitting on the couch together and they're fine. Right. So, and, and you know, that success is transferred over to the dog she lived with in the early few years of her life when I moved back home with my mother. Uh, <laughs> so the, the dog with Holly with other dogs really, you know, there's smaller ones are still a challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, they always have been. Uh, but other than that, yeah, no, she's honestly, I'm blown away by how much she's yeah. improved. I think if anything, like every once in a while when, like when we come in and they're both super excited, um, Holly will nip at Jojo a little bit, like when there's high energy. Um, mm-hmm. But Besides that, they've they've been good. Um, I think the only thing is I've noticed. I think sometimes Holly again will get kind of territorial, like when they're both in the backyard. Um, and so when JoJo like goes to go to the bathroom, Holly will rush over to her. Um, and like I don't even know if like possessive is the right word. I obviously don't know, but um, we'll like rush right over to her, like stand there almost on top of her till she finishes, and then we'll go to the bathroom right over it. Mm-hmm. Is uh, Josh is Holly fixed? No, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, Would that make it? That's why. Um, I didn't know that. So she's <laughs> never had a litter or anything, but she just isn't fixed. Yeah, that's why that happens. Uh, so it's just like male dogs, like when they mark stuff, 
So Carly, like if you've ever seen a male dog lift their leg and pee on something like a pole or a mailbox, that's what that is. It's just them marking. I don't know. It sounds cliche to say territory, but it's just, I don't know. I don't know exactly why it happens, but it seems that when dogs are like, Hey, this is me, this is all of me right here in this spot. Like whether it's pee or poop or just their sense in general, dogs who are intact have more likelihood and they have more innate guardianship territory. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, Holly's kind of like, this is mine. This is mine. This is mine. This is mine. Everything's mine. Right. Mm-hmm. Dad's dad's mine. My bed's mine. My food's mine, whatever. So it doesn't surprise me that when Jojo goes out and goes potty, she goes over and says, Nope. So it's kind of like this. Think about like, you guys can't see me right now, but think about when you put your hand out and then you stack another hand on top of it and you stack another hand on top of it and you stack another hand on top of it. So whenever Jojo goes potty, then Holly is going to come up and be like, don't overcrowd my sense. Everything is mine. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't make sense to us, but that's typically how that rolls. Um, so does it make a difference, Josh? I think you asked it. It does, but it it does. Yes, obviously, it makes a difference. Dogs who are intact. We see it specifically with males. Like once males are intact and they go through sexual maturity after eight to twelve months they are definitely a different dog than before that basically because they don't have dogs who are, who are fixed from an early age who don't go through maturity pretty much kind of don't develop. Right. So sometimes actually almost all the time, physically they don't develop and then sometimes mentally they don't develop. So they kind of stay this like really immature puppy type behavioral. Um, they don't get all the testosterone that adult, male dogs would but with females it's similar it's just not as much as it is males so that's why a lot of males who are intact do not get along Um, it's very common for those things to happen but when you have a dog like holly who's intact uh, it just basically means they're going to be more aggressive more protective Um, they could be again more just physical they could be more pushy so that's what that that's what that is. But if you're not seeing huge problems like a lot of people do, then I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't worry so much about, uh, I wouldn't worry so much about it. But that's what that okay. is. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. What else here? Let me just take a quick look. We covered a lot of it. Um. Yeah, no, Tom, you are very informative. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. See, it's uh, my pleasure. Is there anything we could we could do to incorporate Joey? Like, how would – I'm trying to – struggle on how to think. I mean, honestly, the one thing that concerns me is Joey's a real lickaholic. She will jump on your face and start licking you till no end. And – uh I'm assuming the only real best thing would do would be to stop that. But my concern is one day Holly might interpret that as an attack. She hasn't really yet, but sometimes she, she doesn't jumps. like when yeah, she does was, that. she like jumps up. She'll mm-hmm. she does her hair doesn't really raise on her back, but her tail turns playful. Like it starts doing a very wide wag, uh, and she starts sniffing intense. Yeah, it it almost seems like Holly's kind of like this stoic, older, like, get out of here, you annoying small dog. <laughs> you know, it's like more <laughs> more serious dog, which is common, by the way. Uh, I deal with it in my house, and um, a lot of other people deal with it too. So it's not it's not bad or anything. It's just uh, it's just so funny. that's so that's normal behavior. Well, uh, yes, I mean, so again, Holly's a, a saint. You know, it seems like she's very patient. So you can definitely, so Jojo doing all this stuff, A, you know, A, we have to look at, okay, why is this happening? And if at any point in our lives with our dog, um, I guess Carly's early stages with the dog, if we're like, hey, this is cute and we like this, that's why Jojo does it. It gets attention. So that's, that's why it's happening, Josh. Yeah. So, and that's common too. And, 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 you know, a lot of what I do is just deciphering what the dog thinks. Okay. And then us coming and saying, Hey, this is not okay. And then my job is to say, well, you've taught the dog that that was okay. So now you have to backtrack. So, um, so there's, that's why it's happening, but it's almost, it's an, it's a response. So dogs are conditioned animals, which means 
if you have a dog that does something and it, it, it elicits a response from a human and or really anything, a door, a dog, a bird, whatever, then they're going to keep doing that. So Jojo jumps in our lap, starts licking our face, and then we go, oh my God, and we do all, we do all this stuff. We turn our head, we flop our hair all over, and we we and some people can be saying, stop, no, don't, I hate dogs, I'm allergic, but because of the response is so stimulating for the dog. The dog is like, I'm going to continue to do this because this is hilarious and fun. And it, it gives me this crazy response. And that's what dogs do. So we taught Jojo in the beginning that that's what life is. And so now that's how Jojo thinks that we should act. So it's not her fault. You just have to start. No, no. You just have to start okay. going. Th- you have to, again, this is, as you can tell, my conversations with most dog owners, including yourselves, it's it's, it's very like, I'll be the medium here and just tell you um, what's appropriate and what's not and what you can do. But really, at the end of the day, it's discretionary on what you know you want your dogs to do and how you want them to behave. But you can start correcting that behavior, and you can also stop. You can also start correcting the behavior with uh, Jojo doing that to Holly, so it doesn't upset Holly. But nine times out of ten. A dog will turn around and correct the dog and say, hey, quit the shit. It's very natural. Like if you watch daycare or you watch two dogs playing, you'll get... Joey's very comfortable with telling Holly, hey, stop sniffing. Yeah. So you can do both. You know, you can... It it goes both ways. Um, But again, Holly being intact, that's that intensity coming out. That's that like, I want to check everyone's IDs. I need to know everything. Um, so you, so you can play it both ways. You can correct the, you can correct any behavior that you want that you don't find appropriate, but you have to make sure that you're doing it fairly. You're doing it on times so timely and you're doing it with effectiveness. And so oftentimes people will say, Hey, no, don't, or this kind of goes across the board with any training if you say come, if you say sit, if you say place, if you say down, if you say leave it, if you say no, if you say don't, your dog is going to have the cognitive ability to understand that when things come out of your mouth, if the dog doesn't know the behavior and or they do know the behavior, but it's not being followed through with and or the dog isn't being held accountable for the behavior, that's where your relationship starts to spiral out of control for the worse. So you just got to make sure my point is, is when either dog does anything that you don't want, whether it's sniffing each other, sniffing somebody else or whatever, you have to just ha- have accountability in the, in the equation. So if you say Jojo, no, stop, or Holly, no, stop, rather they're sniffing each other, you have to hold the dog accountable. You can't just say it because if the worst case scenario for your dog not listening is for you to say it again, they don't care. <laughs> It's like yeah, that's what I was just gonna ask. Like, how this might be a dumb question, but like, how to how do we get to that point? Because I feel yeah. like even with both of them, like we um, will say no or try and get them to sit, which Holly listens way better than this other one. Um, but like in that moment when there's a behavior or whatever that we don't like, mm-hmm. what exactly should we be doing to? like consistently try and address yes. that. It's it's a it's probably the best question you asked the whole conversation. It's a really good question because if you guys know how to hold your dog accountable for things, then you can teach your dog and mold your dog and shape your dog to teaching them the difference between wrong and right, which is how to create a, a good dog. So outside of the resource guarding cuz that's a different conversation. Um so we'll don't think about the resource card. I can cover it after. But first, the first thing is, is the dog has to know the behavior unless it's, unless it's a correction of stop what you're doing. And that could be for jumping. That could be for, um, you know, uh, uh, puppy biting. That could be for sniffing. It could be. So it starts with your relationship at its core. It's not very a, uh, binary thing across the board it really is it's like a it's like building confidence in a relationship with uh, a person as well so it would be the first thing you'd have to do is like let's say we put uh just for an example we put holly on a leash we put holly on a leash and we put holly on like a slip collar or something right so something that has action and what i mean by action is so flat collars don't have any action, right? There's no give. There's no action in the collar. It doesn't move. It's just a stagnant piece of cloth. 
martingales have action. It goes in and out. Prong collars have actions. It goes in and out. Slip collars have actions. Dominant dog collars, uh, slip leashes, etc. Martin, you know, all that stuff. Anyway, so when you have a dog on a leash and a collar, and the first thing is, is they have to know, like, for an example, if you say sit, right? So when you tell a dog to sit, and they know the behavior, because you taught them the behavior, and they decide not to sit, because there's other things going on, or they just don't want to sit. That's where you would hold the dog accountable with some pressure on the leash. So the accountability for most dogs is pressure. It doesn't have to be leash pressure. It could be body pressure. It could be verbal or voice pressure. So walking towards a dog and or saying, ah, sit like that. So you have to hold the dog accountable at its very small fundamental stuff. So the, the, the exercises and skill sets that you practice. So if your relationship with this, your dog is, you know, sit, you know, place, you know, down and you know, stay or whatever. If you practice those things and you're using positive reinforcement to when the dog does right, and then you're holding the dog accountable. So the first thing you have to do is teach the dog the behavior, which really just requires positive reinforcement to teach. The dog doesn't sit. You put some pressure on the rear end. They put their butt on the ground. You pay them. They're like, oh, how do I get more of that? And I'm like, well, sit means this. Okay, got it. So my point is, is your leash is going to be that line of communication in the beginning. But I want you to understand something very valuable, that your leash or your pressure is an enforcement to your voice, which means when you tell a dog to do something and they don't do it, you're enforcing that behavior. But the dog shouldn't just listen to the equipment, no matter what it is, food, slip collar, whatever. They should be listening to your voice. Mm -hmm. So enforcement is like, again, you're driving down the road, it's a, it's a 65 and you're going 85, boom, you get pulled over. That's law enforcement, right? So law enforcement means these guys are out there enforcing laws. So for you, you say, Holly, sit. She says, no, you enforce it. If you live a life with a dog where you say something to the dog and the worst case scenario is, is that you're just going to ask again, not only do they know that they're never going to get punished, but they will likely not have a ton of respect and or confidence in your ability to be that dog owner as a leader. So it goes two ways. It builds a better relationship because the dog knows what they can and can't do because you're setting very clear boundaries. And it also, when you tell a dog to do something, instead of them flipping you off and you having to chase them down or scream at them until they're bored, you can just tell your dog to do something and they do it. So to answer your question, Carly, it's going to be your leash in the inside and that's really what it comes down to. So don't, a lot of people, we say dog sit, they go, nah, I'm not sitting. And then we just nag them. Sit, 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 sit. Don't do that because it's, it's, I mean, imagine if it's just, it's just not the way that the world needs to work with dogs because that's where they start going, you know what? This is my house and you've done nothing to tell me or prove to me or show me or to communicate with me that you are going to stop me from claiming this house or this bed or this food or this whatever. So that's how you would do it in the beginning. It's just a leash pop. But when you're doing it with resource guarding, you just have to be careful because the dog is, that's where you can get a little dangerous there because a dog is actively telling you how much they are upset. And then if you physically correct them, it could boil them over and that's where things can get kind of sketchy. But my point is, is, you have to ask yourself as a dog owner, if there's nothing going on in the room and I look at my dog and ask them to do something, what are the odds of that happening? And you don't have to answer. It's just a question that you guys should think about. If, if the answer is like, there's a 50-50 shot, or you can say, well, if there's no food involved, there's no shot. Okay, so think about that. And then take it to the next level to say, I want my dog to do something when they're highly stimulated. So you got to think if your dog isn't going to do very basic things like come, sit, down, stay, or heal, when there's really nothing going on, the likelihood of them doing that outside with another dog with squirrels and distractions and smells as you're having a problem, or if the dog is growling at you in the crate and you're like, hey, leave it, and they're like, guys, I don't listen to you at the easiest 
training scenario. There's no way I'm listening to you at this point. And that's like one of the biggest problems that dog owners have with their dogs at a base level is they don't have good communication skill sets like come, sit, down, stay, or heal. And if they do, their accountability and or their consequences for the dog not doing it is non-existent. So when they apply the behaviors to reality, it doesn't stay. So just think about, yeah, just think about that as you guys are moving through and navigating through your life with your dogs. If you're just nagging your dog constantly, not only are they not listening because why there's no accountability for it, they're choosing to chase the squirrel instead of recall, but it's also really damaging to your long-term relationship because the dog knows that you got nothing in your back pocket. You got, you just ask and you kind of cross cross your fingers and hope it, it works. And the other mm-hmm. thing is, is a lot of times people will depend on, you know, you tell your dog to sit and they don't, and they run to the cupboards to get a piece of food. Then the dog sits. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like giving your kid an iPad just for them to eat their dinner. It's like, that's not how it should go. You got to just eat your dinner. Maybe you'll get the iPad later if you eat your dinner. You know what I mean? Right. right now it's kind of reverse. So as you guys are navigating through your relationships with your dog, just remember that because that will overall set a really big tone for everything, not just what things you like and what things you don't like. It's about you. How well does your dog actually listen to you? You kind of set the boundaries and tone. Like I, I have a one-year-old son and if I holler at him in a way, like if he's going towards the stairs or something, he just knows, he doesn't know not to go down the stairs. He just knows that he, he's in trouble. And so he just stops. So if my mm-hmm. voice didn't mean that to him for that, for him to understand that, that would be a big problem. And it's the same thing with dogs. Okay. Yeah. Um, I have one last question specific for Jojo, but did you have any other questions? Pretty good, no. Okay. Um, any advice for getting her to walk better on a leash? Have you taught her how to heal? I've, I've tried, but haven't had much success with it. Okay. Good question. So... Uh, the, the first thing is, so there is no easy answer. I'd love to give you an easy answer and that's it, but it's a little bit more involved. So for a couple things is you have to understand that dogs have four legs. We have two. So for a dog to walk at our heels is literally telling the dog they have to walk in slow motion until we say they don't have to anymore. So it's not, and let me, let me say this. Sometimes as dog owners, we get lucky. We get a dog in our past, we get a neighbor's dog, we get a family dog, we get a cousin's dog, a brother's dog, a sister's dog, and they're the best out of the gate. And you get lucky. I've had those dogs, but it's not going to happen every time. So oftentimes we have to teach the dogs that we live with how to live with us. And so the first thing is, the, the first mistake that dog owners make is they try to teach something in a very unrealistic environment for any dog to learn in, which means... And this is common, so don't feel bad if you do this. If you go outside and you say, hey, I'm going to teach you how to walk on a leash, it's really difficult, really difficult. Or, and or, the distance and duration of how long you're expecting the dog to heal, although they don't know what you're talking about, is also very unrealistic and it'll allocate you to fail almost every time. So dog owners typically go outside, ask a dog to heal, and they don't know it. And they want the dog to heal for a whole block. When we develop dogs and puppies for learning the heal process, we do it for three steps to begin with inside with an engaged dog, a hungry dog, a motivated dog. So what I want you to think about and or do and to put into practice is understand that it's not a simple, like dog training is not a simple thing and It's not a uh, quick like, hey, how do I turn this on and off? So just remember that you have to develop the fundamental skill set of heal and how your dog perceives it and understands it, registers it, etc. well before you can copy and paste that into a realistic situation because everybody wants to walk their dog on a loose leash downtown during life. That's what we all want. That's, of course... But in in order to accomplish that, you have to have really good skill sets 
to accomplish that goal. And so you're going to start off in a non-distracted environment. If your dog is food motivated, that helps. And you're going to put your dog on a, on a leash and a collar setup. I would suggest something that holds the dog accountable or has action. Because when the dog decides to say, I'm not doing this anymore, you have to be able to prevail during that situation. So you have some sort of leverage. But okay. the but the objective is is to move forward. You would just say, Jojo, heal. One, two, three, and then break the dog. Now, the break command is just as important as the heal command is or the sit or the down or the leave it or the recall. Because if we're going to tell our dogs what they can and can't do on the leash, we also have to make sure that they understand fundamentally what the break or the free command is, which is new to most people who don't or who aren't in the dog world. The break command yeah. the, the break command is because if you tell your dog so think about commands when you tell a dog a behavior, it's like a neutral it's like a manual transmission, okay? So when you put a dog into a heel, you're putting them into a gear. Boom. Heel. If you don't have a break command, technically the dog should be in a heel their whole lives. Because how are they because if you're teaching the dog, I want you to walk at my side, you can't have the expectation of the dog to walk at your side forever because they're animals. They need to go and be dogs and sniff and do their thing. Mm -hmm. So in order to clearly and or fairly teach a dog to heal, you have to give them a release command, which is usually break. So if your dog is food motivated and or treat motivated or whatever, you would put the dog on your left side, put the leash all in one hand, look straight, put your shoulders up. Everyone puts their shoulders down facing the dog. They look at the dog and they go heel and they choke the dog out as they're walking. It's just what everyone does. Put the mm -hmm. leash, every time that you apply leash pressure to the dog, you, you want them to turn that off. It's called negative reinforcement. You want them to turn leash pressure off by doing something that you want them to do. So if we tell a dog to sit and we hold leash pressure up and they put their butt on the ground, we remove our pressure. It's called negative reinforcement. We're taking something away. So you want to make sure that your dog understands when they're loose leash on your side, they're getting paid. So typically, left side, nice and loose leash, nice and relaxed. You move forward. You say, Jojo, heel. You move forward literally one, two, three, and then you say, break, and then you break the dog. And the break can be a simple piece of food on the ground in front of them to, to muscle memory, remove them from the situation. And then you let her be a dog for 10 to 30 seconds to a minute. And then you get her back into position. And then you say, Jojo heel. And that's how you do it. And in the process of doing that, you would amp up the distance distraction and duration during the process. Okay. I ha if you go to my web, if you go to my YouTube channel, Carly, if you just look up Upstate Canine Academy or you look up Tom mm -hmm. Davis healing or something like that, I have multiple walkthroughs of a dog right in front of me on video that you can watch because I'm the type of person that needs to see somebody do it as well as hear how to do it. Yeah. So that's what I would okay. recommend just because, again, teaching everybody wants that. I mean, teaching your dog to walk nicely on a leash is not an easy thing when you have a bouncy, playful, energetic, nosy dog that, you know, doesn't want that. He's so nosy. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I, I, would, check, I would check that out, and uh, that'll be really helpful. Okay. Cool. Yeah. But just make right. sure you start off slow, and then you introduce the break. It'll make the world a difference. Because oftentimes dogs have gray areas in their training because their owners never tell them what they can and can't do on a very binary black and white situation. So we say, mm -hmm. hey, heal. And then you're really happy with the heel and you're finally like, okay, they can be a dog. But they don't they can't decipher, are we done? Are we still working? Like make it really clear. Math class, recess. Math class, recess. <laughs> you gotta you gotta make sure the dog understands. Be a dog. Okay, now work with me. And if you don't have that, your training becomes very diluted and gray because the dog doesn't know. Are we, you know that thing you just told me to do that I had to do and even I got corrected for doing it? It seems like we're not doing that anymore, but I'm not sure. And you're in your head, you're like, no, you did great. You can go. But if the dog doesn't understand what the break is, some people say free, whatever. So I would just look that up and 
that'll okay. I have two I have two videos I did last year that'll be really helpful for you. Okay, cool. All righty. Um, I think that's just about everything, Tom. Thanks sweet. for everything. Appreciate your insight. Yeah, yeah. this was super helpful. Yeah, no problem, guys. No problem. Uh, good luck with everything. Check out those videos. And, yeah, I'm always here if you guys need anything else. Appreciate okay. it, man. Have a great day. Thank right. you. You too, guys. Take care. Bye-bye. First question comes from Cluddy13, exceptional five-star review. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for all your hard work and effort in the podcast. Your passion truly signs, shines, and we are so grateful to found you. Excellent approach and content has really made my work commute enjoyable. We have two neutered males, five-year-old lab, excuse me, a two-year-old rescue mutt, and our rescue has reactivity to people and dogs and is also extremely fearful to loud noises, movement, new places. There's no bite history, but we have made a huge progress with a positive reinforcement behavioral trainer over a year, and he has now let us lets us leash him up, even the house, and actually enjoy walks. He has gained a lot of confidence inside the home and outside the home. We are still struggling with management of his reactivity when guests come over. He does start to warm up to those desensitize my question is if we would if it would be appropriate in this kind of fear reactivity as a prong collar for correction in the house we use a flat collar right now especially for picture reactivity with guests when they get up from a table or a couch i would start off with a slip leash instead of a prong um, management is is something that you're going to have to do because i talked about this uh, i've talked about this a couple different times but you got to understand you can't change personality but you can change behavior and what that means is when the dog is reactive, it's going to be very hard for you to say, hey, don't be fearful. I mean, you can build as much confidence as you want within the dog, but there's still going to be things that they're going to be fearful of. So their behavior stemming from their actual uh, reactivity uh, is something that you can modify, but it's something, you know, maybe the dog is always going to have to be managed because the the success is going to be predicated off the people coming in, which is something you can't really control. So it's not really fair for you guys to set yourself up to say, is this dog ever going to be okay? It's like, well, if you have the right person in, they'll be fine. Like if I came in, you'd probably be fine. So I would switch to the slip and then also maybe even the uh, plastic pinch collar as well to start. And you can start correcting that behavior to see if it helps. Absolutely. Next and comes some helps with boundaries of my kids. Kara, one, two, three, four, five. Hey, Tom, I've learned, have, I've leaned heavily into your podcast since bringing home our second Rhodesian Ridge back in May. Overall, he's a good boy. The issue we're having with him can be summed up uh, as a struggle of authority, which we are working on in the house. My husband and I mostly have a handle on it over time. He's understanding he falls into line. What are your suggestions to help him understand that the kids are above him in their hierarchy? Um, when he's in the house, they are great with him. The backyard is another story. We are working on place with him while they're running around, but if he breaks, I can't correct in time. So I would just say like, you're going to have to, dogs are not politically correct, nor do they, do they care? I mean, some dogs are just opportunistic and they understand that. Yeah. So little kids just don't have the, uh, ability to, to train. And, and, you know, it's just like having, it's just like having a, a uh, a relationship with two people and one of them does all the training and the other one doesn't, it'd be the same thing. Oh, well the dog doesn't respect this other person. Well, it's because the other person doesn't train. So it's, it, yes, it's kids, but you have to understand it's not so much that it's kids. It's so much that, that the kids don't train. So my suggestion for you is if you're having trouble with the, with the dog really, um, getting after the kids outside or being overstimulated outside, uh, then, the e-collar is going to be the next best step. I mean, I don't want to waste your time or, or anything like that. Um, I would do e-collar training because if your dog is not listening and you're not able to hold things accountably off leash, it's going to be really difficult for you to work through the process uh, without that because the dog's smart enough to know, well, when you're around and you're on the leash, then I know that there's going to be accountability for the things that, you know, that we're doing. So anyway, so you just have to, you just have to check that out. But I, that's my suggestion is, is is do off-leash recall. That's what off-leash, I'm sorry, off-leash remote collar training, that's what that does. Off-leash remote off-leash remote collar training is exactly what helps the problems that you're having. So that's what I would do. Um, I have an e-collar course you can take uh, as well as free videos all over my YouTube channel that'll be helpful for you as well. So that's my suggestion. Thank you for listening. Uh, next one comes from Lay Le- 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 Raz. 
five-star review. Love your podcast. I get so much out of it. It makes sense. I have a 10-year-old Shiba Inu and a Husky Lab mixed strider. The Husky Lab is trained on an e-collar while the Shiba Inu is too sensitive for it and just doesn't work for her. It may be if my Shiba hears the beep or vibrate going off, she's close enough to my Husky Labs who's wearing the collar. She gets extremely anxious, panting, choking herself, um, tries to turn tail and run away. Should I turn around and give her, give in to her pulling to go back to the car or should I wait? It out? No, I would desensitize it. I would easily desensitize that. You would bring the e-collar out without the other dog and you would desensitize the noise and the, ver- the audible that makes your dog actually... Uh, freak out and then you would work through that with your healing and you'd work through that with treats or positive reinforcement and that's how you'd work through that um does that i hope that makes sense but yeah that's an easy thing to do uh yeah that's what i would do is just get that get that collar out do all the things that the dog is afraid of um and work on that with positive reinforcement to desensitize it so Okay, cool. Good questions, guys. I'll answer three more. If you guys are listening to this, head over to the iTunes review chart and leave your review. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.